You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Doing good? Super Bowl Sunday? I won't say anything more. You can keep it to yourself who you're into it. But uh, anyway, good morning. Glad you can join us to spend time gathering to meet with Jesus today. It's always a blessing. Love Sundays because the church is gathered around Christ and able to exalt and learn from him and edify each other and encourage each other. Um, Such a good day. Um, Well, we are in a month into the amazing book of Acts. This this study, it's probably going to be about a year or so long. We're just making our way through it. And uh, if you're with, with us, you kind of probably know this. But it's been said that the book of Acts is the source book for the spread of Christianity, right? And the books of Acts, what it does is it traces the work of the Holy Spirit through the birth, infancy, and adolescence of the church that now we are perpetuating that we're in even today. Uh, And we currently are in a two-week real crash course into the person of the Holy Spirit and his role in the life of the believer in, in, in the world. And if you have not been with us the last few weeks, please take time and go look at uh, the last week's podcast and help you kind of give some framework of where we're at. But today, we pick up right where we left off last week in Acts chapter 1. And today, we're going to be studying verses 6 through 8. And I want to encourage you to open up that right now and read scripture for yourself as we study it, if you are able to. But if you do not have a Bible or you don't have the same translation we are teaching out of, which is the NIV, the tables as you walk in, as always, have Bibles on them for you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take one. It's a gift from us to you. Like, take it home with you. Don't feel weird about, like, stealing a Bible from church. Like, that's why they're there. If you don't have a Bible, like, take it. We want to give out Bibles. It's, it's okay. Um, don't feel weird about it. But to jog our memory of what we've been already studying and give us some context of uh, where we are in Luke's narrative here, let's go ahead and start reading Acts chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 and go all the way through verse 8. So we're just going to start from the beginning and go through 6 through 8 to give us a little bit of uh, idea where we've been and where we're going. So let's read it. Acts 1, 6 through 8. This is Luke, the author of Acts, speaking. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've gathered us here this morning, and we are expectant to hear from you. God, we don't gather to hear me. We gather to hear you. So Holy Spirit, would you anoint me? Would you empower me just as the text is speaking about today to communicate and be a witness to us of who you are and what you've done and what your word means? I'm the first one to admit, Lord, that I am inadequate to do this, but with your power, um, we just pray that you would speak through me. I'd be your mouthpiece, that you would have your way with us uh, on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that your will would be done. God, we want to hear from you. God, we want to we want to be empowered. We want to be a people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses in the world. And so would you, would you help us to understand this and live this out and, and really grasp this and walk in it? So would you do that, Holy Spirit, for each and every one of us here? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as a way of recap, right, at this point in our text, Jesus has risen from the dead. He is showing himself to his followers along with 500 others proving that he truly is alive from the dead. It's not fake. It's not a tale, but he's, he's interacting with them. And a primary message to his followers during these 40 days and prior to him ascending to heaven was that the helper, the Holy Spirit, right, the third person of the Trinity, which last week we began to dive into a study into the person of the Holy Spirit and its role in the believer and in the world. What's happening is, is Jesus is communicating this message. He's showing, um, he's proving to them that he is who he said he was. And in verse 4, which we studied last week, Jesus is drilling this into them that they need to be desperate to have the Holy Spirit. Right? They weren't to go anywhere, start anything, or carry on the gospel message unless and until they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? These zealous, passionate uh, young fishermen and tax collectors that, that, were, that were doubtful, but now Jesus has risen. Now they're like ready to go. He said, stop, don't do anything. I know you're excited about it, but you cannot do anything apart from my spirit, so hold on a second. And in verse 6, what we see today is they begin to try to like really grasp what it means that Jesus is leaving, that they're being given this, this Holy Spirit, the Spirit that they don't really personally know, but they've seen interact with Jesus' life for the past few years. But they begin to just ask him, wait, Jesus, before you leave, what does that mean for us and the kingdom of Israel? Right? And so in other words, um, they're, they're trying to figure out what's happening. I imagine them being a little bit frantic. Right, Jesus is leaving. Wait, where are you going? What do you mean? You just, got, you just rose from the dead. Where are you going? You're leaving us. Who are you giving us? What's happening? So what's going on is they're saying, Jesus, what do you mean? Why are you leaving? When are you, like being the Messiah, going to do all the things that we thought you were going to do? How long do we have to do this without you? When are you coming back? This is pretty much what they're communicating. 
But at, but at the core of their question is based off a wrong idea, I would say, of what they're expecting Jesus to do. See, what they were concerned mostly about was theirs and Israel's present circumstance. And they had struggled with this concept for the last few years, and they were still stuck on it. See, they assumed that since Jesus was Israel's promised Messiah, right, for hundreds of years, Israel had been waiting for the Savior, the Messiah, the one that would come and and free them and give them life. And um, they were very much for a long time an oppressed people, even at this time, Israel was under political oppressive rule by the Roman Empire. They were currently living in that. And so the question they posed to Jesus is, so, is, it, is now the time that you're going to free us from Rome? Is now the time that you're going to do this for Israel? And even by asking this question, the apostles evidently maintained their interest in the hope of seeing the kingdom of God realized in the restoration of Israel's national independence. They were just thinking about themselves. They weren't thinking about the whole world. They weren't thinking what Jesus was doing was meant for anyone else. Jesus, is now the time that we as Israel are going to be our own people? They were thinking very nationalistic, and they were that's all they were thinking about. And Jesus' answer in verse 7 was more or less uh, said, guys, you're not getting it. You're missing the point. It's up to the Father's timing when this will happen, but you're missing the point, right? Because the kingdom of God has been ushered in with myself. This is Jesus. Like, the kingdom of God has come, and it will be continued to be shown through you, but not only to Israel, but as we'll see, to the ends of the earth. They They were thinking very small and very personal and even maybe very selfish. Jesus, now that you defeated death, you are who you said you were. What are we going to get out of it? How can you personally help us? Does this mean that we're going to be good and Rome's going to leave and we don't have to pay taxes to them and like we don't have to be oppressed by this foreign entity? What the disciples would, will learn firsthand is that God's kingdom is not a kingdom that has borders. Right or is for one nation or for one people. But rather, the kingdom of God is to be spread to every nation, every people, the whole world. This is something that they will learn firsthand by what Jesus is about to tell them and by what we'll see throughout the book of Acts, right? So that's why Jesus goes on to say, the verse later, verse 8 this morning, he says, so, so no, it's not just about Israel. Like, that's not, you're missing the point. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Sumeria. They may be okay with that, and then it turns to, and to the rest of the earth. Paraphrase in context from Jesus to the disciples, what this would be communicating to them. Jesus would be saying it's far bigger than just you and just Israel. I came to save way more than just the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. The gospel 
is meant for every Jew, but it's also meant for every Gentile, right? Every non-Jew living outside of their homeland. So Jesus is just starting to really illuminate this for them. And we cannot um, downplay the significance of of verse 8 in the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 8 in the book of Acts. Not only were these Jesus' final earthly words, and words that really sum up the entire book of Acts, but verse 8 is the key verse of the entire book that we'll be spending a year in. Sums it all up. The Holy Spirit falling upon the church and the church, the early church being established and them being empowered to go to the ends of the earth with this message that has been thus far only to this little sliver of land in the Middle East called Israel. And there's three things I want to look at for the remainder of our time this morning that breaks down the content of verse 8, and it's this. What Jesus is doing, he's telling his followers... Number one, what their task is. Number two, where the extent of their task is meant to reach and the means by which they're to accomplish this task. Right? So what their task is, it's to witness. Right? The core commission seen in the heart of verse 8 is Jesus saying, you are to be my witnesses. You are to be witnesses for Christ, and that the same is true for us, right? The task that Jesus gives would be one of witness-bearing, and this is a theme which is prominent throughout the book of Acts. Just as a few examples um, throughout the book, here's some examples of bearing witness. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 32, then Jesus, God raised up and Of that, we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised from the, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. So, as you can get it, they're doing what Jesus asked. They're being witnesses of the gospel. It goes on, chapter 10, verse 39. His followers, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And goes on, verse 20, uh, chapter 22, verse 15. You will be a witness to him, to everyone uh, of what you have seen and heard. As a witness, what that means is that we bear witness of who God is. We are to bear witness of what Jesus did upon the cross. And as followers of Christ, right, Jesus spoke this to the original church, the followers. This this is still for us. And we can be witnesses to the gospel. We can be witnesses to the world about what God did through both word and deed, right? We can communicate the life-saving truth of Christ by telling it in conversation, right? By story, uh, by preaching, by sharing it, but also what is equally, if not more powerful, is demonstrating Christ to others by the way in which we treat them, serve them, love them, even without words spoken. That's where the idea of actions speak louder than words. I think none of us would would, uh, fight that. What we do with our actions, the reason why that's true, the reason why 
why it's true is that our actions bring validity and genuineness to our words. Right? What people are looking for is do we believe our own message? Are we doing and living what we preach? Right? Because there is nothing more powerful that can invalidate a message more than hypocrisy. And that's not just true of Christianity or the gospel. Anytime, anywhere, when someone says something and puts that something on someone else, but then in their own lives does not do it. It doesn't matter how great you were an orator, how great the story you told or the message you had, it invalidates it. It invalidates it, excuse me. There's nothing that can invalidate the gospel message more than our own hypocrisy, unfortunately. That's why the book of James would say, in James chapter 2, it would say, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Now, someone may argue, well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So this was given as a task to the disciples and followers of Jesus at the time to bear witness of the gospel. I hope you know that this same task still remains. And also, this task has no loopholes to get out of it. It isn't meant for only some. It's meant for all of the followers of Christ. It's not like, the, like sports, like we're in today, where you, you, sometimes you're benched or you're not good enough or you get more playtime than others. To be a witness for Christ is meant for all of us to participate in. It's for all of us who believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're supposed to be active participants in this task. Sometimes we have a hard time figuring this out, and sometimes we think, well, don't, you know, in order to, like, do missions or local outreach or, like, communicate all this, don't I need to be educated? Should I have a title? Maybe, like, you think, well, shouldn't, I don't know if it's going to be effective if I'm not doing it full time. Maybe I need to get, like, a job and do it. It does not mean those things at all doesn't mean that this has to be your job or be full-time or you need a title. Uh, to, you don't need to be professional at it or even know what you're doing. That's not the prerequisites. Like Jesus didn't sit down with his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and say, Guys, now that I've been with you for three years and you did seminary and I've like graded your papers and I've watched you, now you're good. These guys were not good. This is, this is not the group of people that you want to do this. Like, I'll be honest. This is, this is not the crew that you're like, I need my message, my life-saving message to spread to the whole world. You do not pick Peter and the boys. They're not faithful. They're not reliable. When they get scared, they run. They deny even knowing Christ. This is not the crew. But that's the beauty of the grace of God. <laughs> that as followers of Christ, it doesn't... We don't need prerequisites. We don't even know, need to know what we're doing. The followers of Christ are just supposed to bear witness of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to all people. 
because we don't need to be educated or trained or good at it or good with words, the power of the Holy Spirit is crucial to this. It's crucial. It's critical. That's where, that's where we're going to go today. That's the, that's the whole point of where Jesus is taking us, that we need to be an empowered people. But, but that's the third point. We're only at point two. So, so then the extent of this task to witness, Jesus puts some, some geographical parameters on it, so to speak. So where the extent of their task is meant to reach is both local and global. Right? So in our context this morning, what Jesus is doing is he's using land and geography and the people living in each of those different places as a roadmap to where the followers of Jesus are supposed to be witnesses of the gospel. Right? Remember the context, like they're speaking in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem, which for most of them is about 75 miles away from Galilee, the Galilee region where about three quarters of the New Testament or the gospels, so to speak, are written. Like all, all that we hear about is in the Galilee region. They're about 75 miles north in Jerusalem. Jesus is speaking to them, and he's using land and geography to say, okay, you're supposed to be witnesses? And, and he goes on to, to where, that, where that is, locally, regionally, and globally. So I have a map. It's so small, can't even see it. But, <laughs> can't even see it. Hold on. Yeah, can't even see it. Okay. <laughs> Jerusalem is this little dot kind of in the middle of uh, modern-day Israel. This section of darker is Judea, which is a little bit closer to Jerusalem, and Samaria is the area north of Jerusalem, a little larger. And then, he says, to the ends of the earth. And so there's significance to the places Jesus told them to go. You can just leave that map off for a second, even though you can't see it. But there was purpose and where Jesus chose to include when he gave these ethnically Jewish followers their task. And each of them would challenge their comfortability, their convenience, and stretch them on all levels. So, for instance, Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, they were known here, even though it necessarily for a lot of them wasn't their hometown, they had spent a lot of time there with Jesus. These are Jesus' followers. Everybody knows them. They're kind of a big deal. These were, quote unquote, their neighbors. But also, what had just happened was that their Lord and leader was just crucified there. Like put on trial, found guilty, and killed for his crimes. They would have had trouble bringing truth to this message because for most people, Jesus was dead. He wasn't the Messiah. He died. Why would I follow him? It wouldn't have been comfortable to share in Jerusalem for them because literally there was absolutely no validity. Judea and Samaria also were very loaded places for, these, for this small group of men and women. Uh, if you know anything about the Gospels, Judea and Samaria are not places usually where Jews were, were liked and Jews and Samaritans never really hung out together. They had been rejected there. They weren't welcome. Jews didn't go there. And it was absolutely socially unacceptable to mingle with them. 
They were enemies. That's why Jesus, side note, one of the best Bible stories ever. John chapter 4, when he goes to the woman at the well, he goes out of his way to Samaria. Read John chapter 4. I actually think read it in the King James Version. It's so rich. It says that Jesus must needed to go there. Must needs. Literally King James. He went out of his way into an uncomfortable, un, un, un socially acceptable spot to meet this broken woman that was marginalized and ultimately love her and bring her to himself. Unbelievable story. Go read it. But he was not like there. It was not meant to go there. Judea and Sumeria were not like, hey, just go like somewhere else that's a little bit less uncomfortable in Jerusalem. This was even more uncomfortable than Jerusalem. And then Jesus says, after you've gone to those places, which have been fun for you, which not, have not been fun, not been easy, he says, I need you, I want you. My task that I'm giving you is to take the truth of the message of, what I am, of who I am and what I've done to the ends of the earth, to the unknown, across every barrier, right, to every Gentile, non-Jew, every people, every language. And so the, to the followers of Jesus... These words were not only spiritually revolutionary, but socially and ethnically unheard of. I think we downplay it. We think it's just geography, but this was like cutting into so much stickiness. Like this, this was a big deal. It's a big deal for us too, but this was a really big deal in context to, to Jesus' first followers. So for us, thinking of us now reading this, for us, what this could look like, right? Our Jerusalem or our Judea and Samaria would be where, first would be like where we live, where we do life, where we work. That's our Jerusalem. These are our neighbors. These are our family members. These are our friends. Like it's our task to witness to them. And that has its complexities, right? And its hardships all the same. But also maybe for us that call Hawaii home, this could be just like the larger Hawaii in general or larger parts of Oahu and it's not necessarily we're comfortable with or we know that spot or we're from there or we're born there, but this is a little bit wider regional scope and has its own complexities. And also obviously to the world, which that, that does, that, that's not different. The world is the world, and everybody needs to know about Jesus. And so they each hold their own significance and challenge for us personally. But what's an important takeaway is that we all need to care about or be involved on some level with all of them. Again, we don't all need to go. We can't all go because no one will be here. We can't all stay because no one will go. But... We are, as a people, as followers of Christ, supposed to have God's heart for the world. That means our neighbor. That means our enemy. That means people that are like us. That means people that are not like us. That means people that are ethnically and nationally the same. That means that when they're ethnically and nationally not the same. The same mission that was given to the disciples here in Acts is for us as well. And again, we'll talk more in depth as the year goes on. We'll pray, explore, ask, God, how do you want us to be in part, uh, a part of what you're doing in the kingdom globally? Like, just like you heard from Bethany in announcements today, as a church, we want to be really mindful 
and, and involved with pursuing local outreach to bear witness of who God is to those in need here in our home. But we do have a scriptural mandate on what that means on a global level. And my prayer with Acts as our model would be, God, by your spirit, lead us into this. As a start, as a way of homework for you, I think it's important that you begin to talk and think about this more. You know, living in Hawaii, on an island specifically, if your life's busy, which all of your guys' are, it's sometimes really difficult to think outside of our own sphere, let alone anything better, let alone global missions. It's just out of sight, out of mind. Like There's so much going on, and I get that. And there's a lot, it's, it's complicated, it's hard. It's, there's, but I would just start to talk with your friends, talk with your parents, talk with your spouse, talk with your kids, begin to cultivate the importance of at least caring about what God is doing on a global scale. Amen? Homework, homework for you. And lastly, so Jesus has given what our task is, where our task is supposed to go, and now the means by which we are to accomplish their task, the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Acts does is it describes ordinary, flawed followers being willing and obedient to God, being filled with the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary, supernatural things to show and communicate the truth, love, and power of God. So what we'll see is what happens when the church is filled with and walks in the power of the Spirit, right? So when the church is saved, being willing to be used by God, obedient to his word, praying for God's kingdom to come, and then they're walking and operating in the spirit. What we're going to see in the book of Acts, things get crazy, like exciting. God moves in profound, powerful ways that they have nothing to do with. They're just open vessels waiting for God to move, and God moves when they're willing to be used by God and desperate for his spirit. And what happens is, is we, we see a lot of Paul the apostle. We see his conversion and then we see him living this out. But Paul, in his letters, gives us a really healthy framework of what's actually happening in the book of Acts, right? And last week, we looked into it a bit, but Paul speaks in, in more in depth of what it means for believers to be filled with the Spirit and the effects it has as we deny our sinful flesh and walk in the Spirit. But several times, Paul would speak of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And now the church is to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Right? That, that God, by the power of His Spirit, that there would be God-glorifying, supernatural things that come from the Spirit at work in our lives. There's two quick things I want to say about that. Again, this is like such a crash course. The book's written on the gifts, but here we go. Two things I want to say. I understand that we all have different experiences and have a different reaction when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are talked about, right? Because that's because of what we've experienced, the church we grew up in, uh, 
you know, I'm well aware of the abuses of the Holy Spirit and maybe how they've been misused, uh, the gifts. And so I understand the tendency to be nervous for some of us here. And so saying that, I also want to communicate that we as a church believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous things that come from them are still for today. They're still to be active and alive in the church today. I I understand that many Christians don't and other churches don't. Um, That's not us. We believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and active and nothing has changed since Acts. And it's of critical importance that the gifts all operate in the believer, the church, and the world. I'd love if we grew in that more. A healthy understanding, a healthy use of that. Um, Because I believe a lot of power comes from the gifts. I feel like in a lot of ways we we see that spirit at work through the gifts. And if you're curious um, where the gifts are, this is for homework for you too. Romans 12 Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. They range, remember this is a crash course, I'm going really quick. They range from the gift of helps or administration to prophecy to supernatural healing and lots in between. They don't have to be like super supernatural but also uh, are really effective in what we would deem ordinary. Right? When we see, think gifts, sometimes we think, oh, but they don't, they're not necessarily like that all the time. There's so many gifts that operate in what we would maybe call ordinary, but they are really supernatural, but you, you get what I'm saying. I would love if we would grow in that this year and we would see the Holy Spirit operating in our lives Um, that come from that, right? Because the gifts in our lives, the Holy Spirit in our lives and the gifts that come from the Holy Spirit really communicate to the world around us the compassion, love, wisdom, and power of God as they're seen. But again, what's important to know and remember, especially if you're nervous or have an aversion due to abuse, the purpose of the gifts is to glorify God and edify his church, not to glorify self, not to pretend they're just toys and use them whenever, right? The, the purpose of the gifts is to glorify God and build up or edify the church. I want to end by sharing a bit about myself uh, in conjunction with the power of the Holy Spirit. So for the last 22 years, the primary drive of my life has been driven by what Jesus is speaking about in these section of verses here in Acts, in one way or another. What I mean by that is I got saved when I was 13, a uh, little middle school riz, and uh, it's all glory to God. I was thinking about this when I was, I was writing the sermon. I have, I've never fallen away. I've never, like, missed a beat. Like, God, by his grace has just carried me. If anything, it's been like this task by the power of the Holy Spirit has grabbed me. I, I think the church I grew up into, I didn't grow up in it but because I, I didn't grow up in church, but when I got saved when I was 13 and then throughout middle school and high school and into college, my church was like a very missions-driven outreach church. And so that was normal. 
Like, this is so abnormal if you're not doing that. If not, not everyone's going everywhere, like, what are you doing? Remember what Jesus said, right? So I grew up in that. Got heavily involved with youth ministry. Became a full-time pastor when I was 21, which I'm like 35 next week. So like 14 years of like being a pastor. Uh, been involved with church planting. And, and if it's not been me personally doing this, it's been me trying to like equip and send and support others and like shepherd and pastor people into this, right? Local and global outreach missions is, for me is one of the most life-giving and rewarding things I've ever done for Christ. Absolutely. That said, I will stand here and testify firsthand with 22 years of my own stories of seeing God miraculously heal. Like speaking and people understanding my English in their language. Seen it. Supernatural safety. Incredible stories of that. Seeing demons cast out of people. Seeing prophetic words and dreams. You name it. Like the list goes on. Like I'll stand here and be like, you're crazy if the gifts aren't for today. I've been living my whole life has been a lie and a weird one. But that's another sidebar. I'd love to meet with you. I still love you, but I'd love to meet with you. In 22 years, I've heard hundreds of other stories of the Holy Spirit empowering the church for mission. It's been absolutely incredible. And so I'll stand here and I'll tell you that none of these things would have happened outside the power of the Holy Spirit in which Jesus says you need in order for all these things to happen. Right? This sermon today would not happen if I did not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through me. I'm not that good at orator. Not even that good at English. This is Jesus. In addition to the ways that I've seen the Holy Spirit move, i.e. the gifts and the empowerment and all the stories, the two ways that I've seen him most powerfully, tangibly, and significantly in my own life that I couldn't do anything without is the Holy Spirit as a teacher or counselor and a comforter. So let me, let me explain real quick. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He's the one who leads us. He reveals the truth of our Father and Jesus, um, the Son in his word. He also directs us and leads us into God's will. And to do what Jesus is saying, if you've ever done it yourself or you you think about it at all. To be fruitful and effective in communicating the truths of who God is to those that don't know or, or are even opposed to it is really difficult. And there are principles and tactics and methods, if you want to call them that, that you can learn. But most of it, it's so hard to know what's best, which way to go, timing, leading. Anytime you're sharing who God is to someone else, it's really difficult. And what the Holy Spirit does as our counselor is he leads us. Uh, we believe from Scripture, right, God's general will is his word. His word is his will and his will is his word. But we also believe that God leads us into specific things and places we can pray about and God answers. And that the Holy Spirit speaks and directs us as long as it's not in contradiction to his word. But my all-time favorite Maybe a weird thing to say, my all-time favorite thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. I don't know if that's weird, but take it. And I would argue to say that 
every one of the followers of Jesus would say this too, so maybe you agree, is the Holy Spirit as comforter. Jesus spoke in John 14 to his disciples, and he said this. I'm almost done. Sorry if you're getting anxious. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and I will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. That word advocate there in the original Greek, um, parakletos, is rendered comforter. That's why in the King James Version of John 14, it says that the Father will give you another comforter and he will never leave you. If you've been a follower of Jesus for more than one hour or one day, you will know that following Jesus is hard. Living for Jesus is even harder. And telling your neighbors, telling your own people is really difficult. Telling those that aren't like you, it's perhaps even harder. Missions is hard. Starting churches is hard. And we all get it wrong. We all hear from God wrong sometimes. We say things wrong. We have the wrong timing. But through the Spirit of God that's in us, He ministers the grace of God when we mess up. And church, it's okay to mess up. It's okay to hear God wrong. It's okay to like, mess that conversation up or say things different or, oh, I wish I did that. Like, that's okay. God has so much more grace than you even know. That's the storyline of God's people in Scripture. If you don't know that, you have to read the Bible. God has so much grace on his people because we're not perfect and we hear wrong. But also, the message of the gospel that we're supposed to all bear witness to, it's also offensive. Like, it disrupts the fabric of our society because it causes us to love people that society doesn't. That's what Jesus did at the woman of the well. It disrupts like systematic injustices and the list goes on. John Stott would say it this way. The kingdom of God, although it must not be identified as, uh, with any political ideology or program, he's British, the spelling there, it has radical political and social implications. Kingdom values come into collision with secular values. And so that's a part of why when you bear witness to Jesus, there can be persecution from that. Right? Jesus promised that. That's, that's true of, of church history. But the Holy Spirit comes in power as the comforter. And that's why, for me, it's one of my most treasured roles of the Spirit, because in the midst of discouragement, God is there. Right? In the midst of confusion, the Holy Spirit brings clarity. In the midst of pain, the Holy Spirit, the power of God in me, brings the peace of God and the comfort of God. And as a takeaway, my prayer for us, church, is that all of Acts would happen again. Right, that we would powerfully move in the spirit, that many would come to know Christ because of it, that God would be glorified amongst the nations, and we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit every hour and every day as we bear witness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for you, Holy Spirit. 
We admit that none of this could happen without you. We believe and trust that you know what's best, that God, your ways are better than our ways. And so Holy Spirit, we want to be empowered by you. We want to, be, we want to operate in the gifts. We ask that you would lead us as our counselor, that you would comfort us as our comforter. We want to die to our flesh and deny ourselves. We want more of Jesus. And so what that will look like tangibly is, Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We want to be a church and a people that continue to bear witness of the good news of Jesus Christ to a world so desperately needs it. This world so desperately needs to hear about you, Jesus. And so would you empower us? Give us the boldness. Give us the courage. Give us the words to speak. Lead us by your Holy Spirit to, to bear witness to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our bosses, to our enemies, to those that we struggle being around. Help us to bear witness to them and give us your heart for the nations. Would you do that, Lord? So we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.